information that it sends out. It, it holds a true north. And what happens is sometimes that gyro gets out of calibration. So every once in a while you have to do a recalibration trip where you swing the ship around and you, you, you just get back to the center so you know that everything is working correctly. And I think that Jesus in the Lord's Prayer has given us this gift of coming back to the center. And there's good news in the Lord's Prayer. Good news in two ways. First of all, just the fact that Jesus gave us the ultimate prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a template for living an inspiring life of prayer. It's not meant to just reduce us to just praying those exact words on the Lord's Prayer, but it opens up a whole new life of prayer. And I hope that over the next few weeks we'll be seeing how that works. But the second piece of good news is that the Lord's Prayer contains good news. It contains the Gospel inside of it. Tertullian of Carthage, who was one of the, the early church fathers, said that the Lord's Prayer is an abridgment of the entire Gospel. So over these weeks as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we're actually going to be looking at a lot of good news, and that's awesome for us. Now as we enter into the Lord's Prayer, we have to recognize that it's not just this isolated chunk of Scripture, but it fits really nicely in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. One of Jesus' most... I don't know, amazing teachings. Um, in fact, his longest discourse. And the reason I bring that up is because the Sermon on the Mount, or the, the Lord's Prayer sits right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is about what life in the kingdom looks like. What does this abundant life look like if we lived it out? The Lord's Prayer, being right at the middle, is the culmination of all that it means to live in the kingdom. Now, if you'd like to open your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're actually, before we look at how Jesus teaches us to pray, we're going to look at how He teaches us not to pray. And we're going to start in verse 7. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 say, And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles or pagans do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In Jesus' day, pagans were people who just didn't believe in Yahweh, the one God. Uh, they had maybe multiple gods or just different versions of God, idols. And one of the things that they believed was that in order to connect with God, you had to do a number of different things. One was flatter the God. So you, you've got to, to use all this flowery language like, Oh God, you're so wonderful and great. And just kind of really lay down the, uh, the sugar before you can get to what you really mean. So there was flattery, there was magic. That they, they believed that you had to say the exact right words in order to have your prayer heard and obeyed or answered. Number three is that you had to be really persistent and just say things over and over and over again. And in fact, today in a lot of uh, Hindu and Buddhist prayers, one of the uh, mantras go over and over again so that you'll be heard. And fourth is just maybe a combination of those things. A little flattery is good, repetition, and if you say just the right words, maybe you'll be heard. That's how the pagans of Jesus' day would pray. And he's saying, don't be like them. And the reason is, is because he's getting to an underlying assumption. And that assumption is this. That we in our human power can somehow coerce God into doing what we want Him to do for us. 
If we just say the right words, He's got to answer our prayer. If we just say our prayers enough times, He'll hear us. If we just flatter Him, butter Him up a little bit, maybe, just maybe, He'll hear us. And Jesus is saying, no. Our God is not like that. Before we move on, I just want to ask, have you ever felt like you've been praying like a pagan? I have. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in a situation, I try and find just the right words. Maybe I try and find a scripture that I can say, well, you said this in scripture, God, so now I'm going to keep you to your word. And so if I, if I pray with the right scripture, maybe like magic, it'll come true. Or maybe if I just pray more, or harder, or more fervently, or louder. I've tried all these things. I pray like a pagan in many different ways. And I don't know about you, maybe you've struggled with that. Jesus says we don't need to act like pagans. Because God is not like their gods. God is the Father who is close at hand. He knows our needs before we ask Him. And this is great news because as I grow my relationship with Jesus, and I, it's really great news because as I get to know myself, I start to recognize that I don't even know what's good for me. And maybe you're starting to get to know yourself more and more and you're like, I I pretty much know what's up. Well, that's not like me. Because the more I get to know myself, the more I recognize I don't really know what I need. Daryl Johnson, a teacher and mentor of mine, said, We think we understand ourselves. Our desires, our longings, our fears. We do not. But our Father does. And this frees us from having to pray correctly as if we could. I love that. I love the freeing nature of the Lord's Prayer. We don't know how to correctly pray because oftentimes we don't know what we really need. But our Father in Heaven does. The Lord's Prayer also frees us from having to say a lot. I love this quote. One commentator said, Prayer is not an intelligence briefing for God. It's an intelligent conversation with God. Prayer is not an intelligence briefing with God. It's an intelligent conversation with God. Man, Sophia's into this thing now where, like, Corey and I will be standing right next to each other. And, in fact, it happened at lunch with our friend Scott and Janet. We have, there's watermelon there. And she says, Mommy, can I have a piece of watermelon? And she's like, Sure, honey. And she turns to me and says, Daddy, my mom said I could have watermelon. I'm like, Yeah, I know. I'm like, Right here. But it's the same kind of thing that we do with prayer sometimes. Like, as if God didn't know the deepest longings of our heart the suffering that's going on, our greatest joys. He knows what we need before we ask Him. We don't need to give Him an intelligence brief. And that's really cool to me because, I don't know about you, but like, don't you ever wonder, do I have to pray a certain way? If I don't name something, is God going to answer it? He already knows. I don't think He gets all hung up on us getting every word right or remembering every detail in our prayers. So, what I often wonder is, if God already knows what I need before I ask Him, why pray at all? Why pray at all? I'm not going to say you ever asked that question, but I'm going to say, just by me asking that question, it reveals that I don't really understand what prayer is. Prayer is not an exchange of goods and services in exchange for my attention. I don't think God's waiting to say, Chris, uh, I've got all this good stuff for you, but I'm not going to give it to you unless you give me X amount of hours a week. 
on your knees saying the right things to me. I think I marginalize prayer when I think of it as an exchange of goods and services. Prayer, this is a quote from somebody else. Prayer is what happens when our souls touch God. Oh my gosh. Prayer is what happens when our souls touch God. That's so much bigger than my petty exchange of goods and services idea. Prayer is about relationship. It's an incredible privilege. We are invited in prayer to commune with the living God, the creator of the universe, who breathes life into you and me right now. Now that's not very practical in our Western utilitarian mindset, but consider what Blaise Pascal had to say. Through prayer, God grants us the dignity of causality. Through prayer, God grants us the dignity of causality. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. I'm not smart enough. No, it means that, uh, that God allows us to be involved in how He changes the world and how He acts and how He, how he does things even in our own lives. So when we pray, no, we don't force God's hand, but we get to be in on the action. When we pray for our community and that God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear how He's working, and then all of a sudden it seems good good to us as a church to do a school supply drive and all the things start falling into place about how that's working. We get, now we get to be a blessing to our neighborhood and our students in our school. Why? Because God gave us this idea through prayer. He gives us the dignity of causality. He could totally bless Parkview Elementary and our neighbors without us, but we get to be in on it. And that's way better news. That's way better reason to pray than just seeing it as an exchange of goods and services. God chooses to change the world one prayer at a time by allowing us to cooperate with Him. It's awesome. How then should we pray? Jesus says, we'll pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. That's as far as we're going to get today, but that's, that's the part I really want to bite off on. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice where this prayer starts. With my needs? With my desires? No, it starts with God. And if you've ever wondered, man, I don't even know where to begin in prayer. I don't know if I'm praying the right way. You know that you've always got, you're on the right track when you start praying about God and His glory first. That's what Jesus says. He leads us into this prayer about God first. Now, I want Ian to put up a slide here because we missed something in our English translations about the, uh, the priority of the words. And so what I did is I took the Greek and I just put English words for it, but this is the actual order of the Greek. Father, our... The one in the heavens, be hallowed your name. Father, our, the one in the heavens, be hallowed your name. Father, pater is the first word in the sentence. Not, not our, not us, but Father. He has the emphasis. The emphasis is on God the Father. The Father is the reason that this prayer can change the world. 
Because the Father is in control of the world. See, this is incredible. God is reigning and ruling right now through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we pray to Him, He has every resource at His disposal to do whatever He wants. Thank God His will is good. Albert Hasse writes, listen to this, Our image of God is one of the most, if not the most, important aspects of our spiritual formation. Our image of God shapes and colors everything about our spirituality, from why we pray to how we understand, understand suffering and evil in the world. Our image of God. When I say God, just think to yourself, what comes up in your mind? It's about 60 some of you here. Probably 60 different opinions or nuances about what pops up in your mind. And here we're asked to pray to God as Father. And I will boldly say, none of us have had a perfect Father. And some of you have had horrific experiences with your Father. And if that becomes a stumbling block to this type of prayer, please know that I'm available after this. this sermons aren't the time to deal with this, but please talk to me. How can we move forward when our experiences oftentimes with our fathers are not good? They don't put good images of God in our mind. I do not want to sound trite. I do not want to sound trite. So please talk to me afterwards if this is a real issue. But I do have a way forward, and it can take time. We look to Jesus as the image of a Father. John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, in all His gentleness, His strength, His love of children, His respect for women, His acceptance of men, in all His service to others, to the point of giving His life to save the world. This, Jesus, is what the Father is like. What a wonderful, wonderful Father. J.I. Packer puts so much emphasis on God as Father that he writes, What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know... Now this is saying a lot for like J.I. Packer to sum up. The richest answer he knows of what a Christian is, is one who has God as Father. One who has God as Father. Jesus Himself referred to God as Father. But our English word Father doesn't really cut it for what Jesus was talking about. Father means Dad. It means half of the couple who procreated and had me. I mean, it could mean better things than that, but typically it doesn't mean all that Jesus' term for Father meant. Jesus oftentimes used the word Abba for Father, which is an incredibly endearing term. Jewish children would call their fathers Abba, and it suggests familiarity and approachability, trust and respect, all roll into one ball of love. We just don't have an English word, I think, that, that expresses all of those nuances. Approachability and respect. And frankly, 
Many of us who are fathers, who have, all of us have had fathers, know how hard it is to walk that line between being genuinely loving with kids and maintaining this respect line. Jesus does it perfectly. And that's what the Father is like. To be invited to call God Father then means much more than our English dad or father. It's an invitation to draw amazingly close to God as His children. Now, I can't help but pull back from from John's Gospel, but do you remember in John chapter 1, to those who received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Not just to be called by name children of God, but to become children of God through faith in Christ. That's awesome. And this Father is not mine to hoard and He's not yours to hoard. He's our Father. He's our Father. Jesus puts the emphasis on the plural and uh, it ensures that our prayers are not self-centered or narrow. When we enter into the Lord's Prayer, we can be sure that this is not just going to be selfish and about me. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for those who have put their faith in Jesus. The early church taught that the prayer was for believers, and it was the first prayer that they learned after they came out of the baptismal waters. When we say, Our Father, we're praying as those adopted into the family of God through Jesus. It's a family prayer. And when Jesus invites us to pray, Our Father, He's sharing part of His own relationship with us. The simple word our turns out to a personal prayer. It turns that into intercessory prayer. Because when we pray this, we cannot help but pray for daily bread for those people who don't have any. To pray forgiveness for those who need forgiveness outside of ourselves or our little circle of friends. To pray that those outside of ourselves will be delivered from the evil one. We can't pray the Lord's Prayer and forget about the Christians who were just executed publicly in North Korea for things like owning Bibles or talking about their faith. We cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and forget about others or fall into the delusion that we can follow Christ without the church. We're in this together and it's the way it was meant to be. Our Father... Our Father, the one in the heavens. Now, for those of you who trust and follow Jesus, those who have become His students, God is our Abba Father. But, you know, in our culture, people sometimes get a little little too chummy. I remember I was in the store, this was actually in uh, Marin County, California, where people are a little more, I don't know, progressive or something. But, yeah, more progressive than Bellingham, imagine that. But I'm in the store, and there's like this six-year-old kid, and he says... Hey Steve, I want this candy bar. And I was like, who is he talking to? And it's his dad. Like, I'm like, whoa. I don't know, that just blows my mind. Maybe you're okay with the first name basis thing. But I, it just seems that sometimes in our culture we can get a little too chummy. Like with dad, like, I don't know what I do. Sophia says, hey Chris, I'm, I, want, I need this candy. It's like, get in the car. Um, but just in case, you know, we fall into this trap where we're just a little too chummy with Abba Father, Jesus reminds us that He is in heaven. He's in heaven. The heavens, literally, just mean the atmosphere or the sky or what is not the ground. And 
that means at least two things for us. First of all, the heavens are not so much a GPS location on like, where's God right now? Well, He's in heaven and that is on the 48th parallel, blah, 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 and we got Him located. No, you can't do that. The heavens is not a place like, like where God is all the time, one place. The heavens is a metaphorical term for God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. The sky is everywhere. So God is all around. He's very other. He exists in a way we can't comprehend. In theological terms, God is transcendent. He's without beginning or end. And there's really no words to adequately explain Him. That's what the heavens tells us. But there's another thing that the term heavens helps us with. Right now, we're surrounded by the heavens. The heavens are the atmosphere in which we live. God, the God in the heavens is very close. He's very close at hand. He does not stand aloof at an unsearchable distance. And when we pray, Our Father, the one in the heavens, we're expressing that God is near to every person and every creature, not just us, not just me, not just us in this room, but everyone. Because the heavens touch every place on earth. Father, our Father, the one who is very close at hand, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. In the Lord's Prayer, there are six petitions, six different things that Jesus teaches us to ask for. This is the first one. This is the one we're going to look at exclusively today. Just a quick word about these petitions, by the way. I'm going to go over this in the weeks to come. But every single one of these petitions, be hallowed your name, come your kingdom, be done your will, and on down the list. They're all in what's called the imperative. The imperative. And you know, remember what I was saying about imperative? Like, that's a command. Like, God's the one who gives imperatives, not us. Here Jesus is asking, or telling us to pray this way, where we are speaking to God in an imperative, but it's also got a passive on it. So let me explain what that means. It'd be like, Dad, I really want that candy bar, please. It's got this little passive on the end, so it's kind of a polite but direct way. And here's, here's, what, uh, here's how that goes down. Jesus teaches us to boldly, yet reverently, speak and ask of these things to our Father. To unashamedly ask God to fulfill these petitions. And this is incredibly good news. Why? Notice that the prayer does not say, Help us to hallow your name. It does not say, help me to hallow your name. It doesn't say to help the church hallow your name. It says, God, our Father, you hallow your name. You make yourself holy. And that's so freeing because we are not in the hallowing business, are we? I cannot make God more glorious and famous. That's God's job. Our job is to trust Him for it. In fact, the scripture that was read earlier, Psalm 46, ends with this. Cease striving. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. God's going to do that. It's not up to you and me. We, the, the weight of God's hallowedness does not rest on our shoulders. 
And that's good news. That's gospel news right there because it means that we don't have to strive to accomplish this. What we're praying in this prayer is that God would glorify Himself. So what does it mean to hallow the Father's name? Hallowed means to make holy. Or to holify. Holify your name. Now God is already holy and perfect and good and He really doesn't need to become more holy. So we're not praying that He would become holy. What we're praying is that His name would be holy among the world. That people would begin to see God as God and treat God as God. The cool thing about this prayer is that it's at the very heart of Jesus. Jesus lived, died, and now reigns all for the glory, the hallowing, the holification of Jesus' name, or God's name, the Father's name. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying the heart of Jesus. So if you ever wonder what to pray for, or how to pray, or where do I begin, you can't go wrong. That's why I love I love this prayer as a starting point. So what's in a name? Why hallow the name of the Father? Why holify it? Well, because in first century Palestine, a name meant much more than name means in our culture. A name was like a mini personality profile. Kind of like a Facebook profile. Only the difference is, right, in our Facebook profiles, we choose what we put on there. You know, all the trendy like books that we've read and all the schools that we went to and all the beautiful pictures of our family. Like we never put the pictures up where somebody's making a face and they don't smile right. And we never put our character flaws on our Facebook page. But in first century Palestine, a name was like a Facebook profile that your community wrote for you. So you didn't get to like choose everything. Your name represented your reputation who you really were. So to hallow God's name is to mean to make who He really is known throughout the world. Not who you and I think He is, because we usually are pretty screwed up about that. It's not to make God's name known as the media thinks He is or Joe Blow on the street. It's that God's name would be known as He really is. Based on the Father's name, his Facebook profile might read something like this. El Shaddai, the mighty God. El Roy, the God who sees. El Rofe, the God who heals. Adonai, our master. Our rock, our fortress, our refuge. The Holy One. Cleansing fire, fountain of living water. Good shepherd. Yahweh, the great I Am. The one who is here with you, here for you, the covenant-keeping God. I'm just getting started. We can keep going and going and going, but this is the hallowing of God's name, that these character attributes would be known across the world. To ask God to hallow His name is to ask that the world would come to know Him as He really is. Indeed, that we would come to know Him as He fully is. Why? Because knowing Him as He really is can only lead to one thing. Worship. Worship. My closing prayer really isn't a prayer. It's a statement by N.T. Wright. But let's pray it. 
Father. Our Father. Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven, may Your name be honored. That is, may You be worshipped by Your whole creation. May the whole cosmos resound with Your praise. May the whole world be freed from injustice, disfigurement, sin and death. And may Your name be hallowed. And as we stand in the presence of the living God with the darkness and pain of the world on our hearts, praying that He will fulfill His ancient promises and implement the victory of Calvary and Easter for the whole cosmos, then we may discover that our pain, our own darkness, is somehow being dealt with as well. Our Father, who is in the heavens, very close at hand, please, hallow Your name. Hallow Your name in us. Hallow Your name in the Lettered Streets neighborhood. Hallow Your name in all the world. For You are worthy. Amen. There's a lot of good news in the Lord's Prayer. And each week I'm going to challenge us with a little bit of application. Nothing too tough. But I would like us this week to once daily pray this first part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. See how that might transform you. And if you know you're kind of homeworky, like you're a keener and you want a little bit more, write this on your notes. Father, our in the heavens, and hallowed be your name. Those four things. And just ask yourself this week, after listening to this message and re-looking at that first part of the Lord's Prayer, which one of those four things spoke loudest to you? The fatherness of God, the ourness of the prayer, His proximity in the heavens, or the holification of His name.